2: Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The cheerleaders at a gym in Buffalo
6: have been recording themselves. What's up? To make a new documentary.
0: We're the so-called news reporters.
6: Because one year ago, a mass shooting changed their lives.
4: He just walked around and shot all the black people.
6: The cheer squad, most of whom are black, had to figure out how to go on. And how to compete. I wanted the win for them more than anything this season. Listen to the Embedded Podcast from NPR within the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Carol Fisher,
0: and I'm hosting a podcast called The Girlfriends. It's Las Vegas, it's the 1990s, and it is time to find a husband. There were four Jewish doctors who were felt to be eligible bachelors. One of them was Bob Barenbaum. On paper, he was perfect, but in reality, this guy's a wacko. He choked her to the point she went unconscious. I would call
6: him and I would say, I know you killed my sister.
0: You can listen to The Girlfriends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get
7: your
8: podcasts.
7: You know, Andy, in our 22 years of friendship, this has to be the most bizarre thing we've ever done.
8: I know. Our podcast, My Vagina Said What, is a podcast where we ask our everyday vagina listeners to pull up a seat at the best friends table as we share our most personal and humiliating body stories.
7: We are going to discuss all body things like what exactly are we supposed to do with our pubes, perimenopause, or whack periods, and so much more.
8: Listen to My Vagina Said What podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: What? These days, more often than not, the success of a company is attributed to its founder. But that's only part of the story. My name is Noah Callahan Bever, and I'm proud to present Idea Generations All Angles, a Will Packer Media podcast. We'll be talking to all the key players from all your favorite brands, like Loud Records, Ghetto Gastro, and Earn Your Leisure. So join me each week as we dissect the most dynamic companies in culture, because the only way to truly understand success is to look at it from all angles. Listen to Idea Generation's All Angles on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: Welcome to the Piketon Massacre, a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios.
3: Somebody pretty important in Ohio once asked me why I was so vested and interested in this case and in sex trafficking. I had to be honest with myself, and I had to say, when I first heard it, I didn't believe it. I didn't think it was widespread, and ever since then, it's been like, these women aren't lying, and they deserve all of our attention.
6: This is the Piketon Massacre, Return to Pike County, Season 2, Episode 9. 25 Miles South, Part 2. I'm Courtney Armstrong, a television producer at KT Studios with Stephanie Lidecker and Jeff Shane. Throughout this series, we've examined abuses of power by authorities in Ohio, from law enforcement officials to city councilmen. Investigative reporter James Pilcher drew a through line in the cases of Pike County Sheriff Charlie Reeder, Michael Moran, and the corruption that has infiltrated the Southern Ohio criminal justice system.
3: Why do I think this is happening in these kinds of counties so much? Either A, you had ineffectual or corrupt or both law enforcement, right? You had a community or a culture of lawlessness that has descended upon many places in rural America. And I think that's one of the reasons nobody's watching. Nobody cares to watch. Not to, you know, enhance or blow up the importance of journalists, But if you don't have some kind of watchdog or um, somebody holding officials accountable, it doesn't always work well. In
6: 2017, reporter Nikki Blankenship uncovered an affidavit filed by the Drug Enforcement Agency. The document detailed an FBI investigation into a Portsmouth, Ohio lawyer and former city councilman named Michael Moran. Its content supported stories Nikki had long heard from area women who claimed that Moran was involved in sex trafficking and prostitution. It should be noted that Michael Moran has strongly denied the allegations. So
9: when I got this affidavit, I immediately took it to my publisher, my editor, and they want to prove that it was real. It was authentic and all of this was real. And so I contacted private investigators that I knew, had them look into the document further. I called people in core systems that I knew and had them looking into it. I verified it over and over and over. And ultimately they said that, no, we're not going to publish. I gave my letter of resignation that day and uh, I said ethical differences and
6: I left. During the course of her reporting on sex trafficking in Southern Ohio, the issue had become personal for Nikki. She often spoke with the families of Portsmouth women that had fallen into prostitution and others whose family members had gone missing or been murdered. After her resignation, Nikki had a crucial decision to make.
9: I had made a promise to the families. I'm tearing up a little bit, but I promised these families, and I shouldn't have as a journalist promised them, but I did. I promised them that I was going to scream until someone listened. And so when I felt like I was just repeatedly being shut down, I felt very helpless. I had to do something. I had to put it out there somewhere. and social media is the best way I knew. Even if only local families were able to see that, I thought it might help them in some way and give them something and as a local journalist, a lot of people locally were on my Facebook page. So I went ahead and I I published it and I went to sleep. When I woke up the next morning, uh, I had hundreds, probably thousands of likes on that post already and hundreds if not thousands of shares and messages from everyone. But (laughs) it kind of went crazier than I expected it to.
5: When you saw the DA affidavit, what ran through your head? I was not
4: a bit stunned, and people, they want me to be stunned, <laughs> but I wasn't.
6: That's Katie Lancaster speaking with producer Chris Graves. Katie's best friend and sister-in-law Megan Lancaster went missing in 2013. Katie alleges that Megan worked for Michael Moran as a prostitute. Moran denies these allegations.
4: What went through my head is, oh my gosh, like I'm not the only one that sees this, you know, like the FBI sees it. Like it was just so, just a sense of relief.
6: News of the affidavit spread. It soon caught the attention of Cincinnati Enquirer investigative editor Bob Strickley, who had once worked for the newspaper, the Portsmouth Daily Times.
10: I initially was a sports editor in Portsmouth and, and was elevated to managing editor and in- during my time there, there were always these rumors about Michael Moran and the women that he was around and the circles he he ran in. And it just at the time, the early in my career, I, it just seemed so far-fetched. Portsmouth, if, if nothing else, is a, a rumor mill, so a lot of things get tossed around without uh, substantive, you know, evidence to to back it up. But it was quite surprising to receive word that there was something that could actually back this up. We got a copy of it ourselves and verified it through various attorneys and, and our own legal counsel. And I went back and looked through notes that I had taken because and, and I, I never throw away a notebook from my time working in Portsmouth. I was like, man, a lot of this tracks and here's a government official saying so. And it's in a, a sworn affidavit. So it's time for the chips to hit on the table and, and get involved. So it's too big of a story to ignore, even if it is a place that is not traditionally in an area where my paper covers it. I don't know if it initiated a sense of responsibility as much as it triggered a pretty huge amount of guilt that motivated me to go pitch the story to our, to our bosses, despite the paper being two and a half hours away from the subject that we were covering. And luckily, my uh, bosses were hospitable enough to allow us to explore and then go dig real deep in this story and turn over some rocks that needed to be turned over decades ago.
6: Reporter James Pilcher was writing for the Enquirer at the time.
3: My boss came to me because I was the investigative reporter and said, what do you think about this? You want to take a look? Is this guy trafficking women all over the country from this little town, this burned out shell of a town that's known as the epicenter of the opioid epidemic? Is he doing this? Is it true? Can we prove it? I really thought there was no way. There was no way this could be going on for so long and nobody did anything about it. The other interesting thing was that the paper who got this wouldn't publish it. I mean, it's a federal affidavit and they still wouldn't publish it. Right there in the hometown of Mike Moran, it takes a big city newspaper from two hours away in Cincinnati to come in and do this investigation. Now granted, we had the resources of USA Today behind us, but why not, if that had been published or if the local newspaper had been truly an independent arm or an independent eye, would some of this stuff have gone on? I don't think so. The first time I went to Portsmouth, I didn't know what to expect, and they partnered me full time with the photographer who was also bylined on the story. And she and I were just shooting some footage out at the US shoe factory, and there was graffiti there talking about uh, prostitution and drugs and things like that, and this guy rides up on a bicycle saying, oh, what you guys doing? And we just kind of tell him, he said, by the way, do you know Michael Moraine? He said, oh yeah, that guy runs women. At that point, we're like, oh my God, everybody in town knows this. The guy on the street knows this guy. We didn't even ask. In
6: 2018, Pilcher began the difficult task of locating area women and asking them to open up to him about their alleged experiences with Michael Moran.
3: June of that year, I got the first woman to come forward and say, here's exactly how he did it. And then by July, we had one or two on the record. And if these allegations proven true, this guy was in the seat of power. He had these vulnerable women coming to him for help from a legal perspective, and he offered them this other way out. Do this, and maybe I can get these charges lessened for you. We heard that story over and over again. Do this, and you won't go to jail. And how much of a worse abuse of power could there be?
9: You started this story not believing this is possible. How does that make you feel?
3: Um, 67240. I look like a cop, got a big black goatee, wear a black fedora. I'm not
5: warm and cuddly
3: and people don't immediately warm up. Now, I'm a good conversationalist, but I was the government kind of accountability reporter and getting women to open up and tell me these awful things that happened to them. That was eye-opening and it was a new skill that I had to learn. I also had to be the reporter. I also had to be the objective reporter, and the hard part was I also had to fact check all these women. I couldn't just take their word for it. My publication's reputation was on the line. My reputation was on the line. I had to believe but be skeptical. So when they would tell me, oh, I remember that I got arrested in this particular place, and I'd have to say, okay, where, when, what can you tell me? I'd have to go look up the court records, all of those things, and try to make sure that the timeline's matched. And ever since then, it's been like, I, you know, these women aren't lying, and they deserve all of our attention.
6: The more Pilcher investigated, the deeper the ties into the Portsmouth legal system grew.
3: We reported several times that women were saying that Moran would brag about his relationship with former Ceoto County Common Police Court Judge William Marshall. Now, William Marshall was one of the Marshall boys. He and his brother were the son of the former Judge Marshall in that county. So Bill Marshall took his dad's place as one of two common police courts judges, which oversees all the serious cases and all the felonies and all the high-end civil cases at a county level. It's an elected position. There were allegations that Moran was guiding them to have relations or go to parties with Judge William Marshall.
6: It should be noted that Judge William Marshall has staunchly denied these allegations or any illicit ties to Michael Moran. Though a judge is mentioned in the affidavit, Marshall has repeatedly insisted he is not the judge referred to as working in collusion with Moran and has not been charged in connection with that probe. But the allegations made by area women didn't stop at a local judge.
3: One of the women who did go on the record for that first story told us that she partied with the former police chief. She partied with former members of the police department, all because Moran sat it up. These women came forward and said, these guys used their position to either traffic me, one lady got sent up to Chicago, not knowing what she was getting into, and then turned into a prostitute up there. And then other women were talking about how the probation department, his brother, the guy who ran the probation department, was using his position to lessen her probation. That's how deep this went. One of the best lawyers and a politician and a sitting judge all possibly involved in this network. And that's when we knew we needed to get more women who had been through this experience to talk about what they'd been through.
6: The following is audio from an interview the Cincinnati Enquirer did with a woman named Heather Boots. She claimed to have been a sex trafficking victim in Portsmouth. She went on the record about her alleged association with Michael Moran.
4: He's ruined so many people's lives. And this has been happening for decades because the judges and the corruption here throw all, all of them in It's it's an known fact. Any uh you can stop at any house in this town and they will tell you everything. Like it's no secret.
6: James Pilcher began further exploring the Megan Lancaster case.
3: Katie Lancaster thinks very strongly that Michael Moran lured Megan into this life, and it's his fault she's dead or missing. Now, whether he actually was directly involved, all we know is she left behind a heck of a lot of notes about all of her different liaisons and all the people she would go to for money. She kept all of it. Katie found it. She has copies of everything. We called every single number in that book. Some people acknowledge, yeah, I bought sex from her. And she became like a slew of women went missing or got killed that were addicted prostitutes, sex workers up in Ross County in Chillicothe, which is two counties to the north. I mean, we're talking dozens, dozens more women. So Megan, a lot of people theorize that Megan might have been wrapped up in something that got those women killed. But there's a lot of thought and there's a lot of um, theory or rumor that, no, that that was separate from what happened to her and what happened to her points back to possibly Michael Moran.
6: Michael Moran has denied any involvement or responsibility in Megan Lancaster's disappearance. Moran has stated numerous times in interviews that the only involvement he had with Megan Lancaster was in a case involving a former client where Lancaster acted as an informant. He has said that he had no other relationship with her and that she did not work for him. Additionally, authorities have not brought any charges against him in the case. At this time, it's unclear whether they have questioned him in the matter. Throughout 2019, the Cincinnati Enquirer published a series of articles by James Pilcher and his colleagues about Michael Moran and his alleged ties to human trafficking.
3: Everything that was in that affidavit, we reported it out. As outrageous as it sounds, allegations that he was running women all over the country. He was promising women drugs for sex. He had relationships with judges and with members of law enforcement, all of it. So, those allegations... All of this is in this federal document and yet they never moved on Moran. Now, the DEA says we handed all the stuff about human trafficking over to the FBI. The FBI says we're not going to comment on any potential or ongoing investigation. (sighs) So you can see how frustrated we were with like, okay, why doesn't anybody move on him? What's going on here?
6: Bob Strickley shared Pilcher's frustration.
9: A very important thing that the press does when they're when it's done well is is to shine lights and you know and to offer a vehicle for those people stepping forward, right? Do you find a sense of kind of responsibility of making sure those those
10: voices are heard? What set this one apart was just the amount of women that stepped forward and said something about this to us and talked to us about it. And then also the apparatus that has to exist around a person, Michael Moran, for an operation as we reported on to exist in the first place, a lot of people have to turn their heads. Kind of the damnability of people who just turn the other way and don't care about what's going on right in front of them in their community is more prevalent than maybe we all realized initially.
6: We're going to take a quick break here. We'll be back in a moment.
0: I'm Carol Fisher, and I'm hosting a podcast called The Girlfriends. Back in the 1990s in Las Vegas, a few of us dated the most eligible bachelor in town, Bob. He spoke several languages. He did medical missionary work, and he was Jewish. He was perfect on paper. But he wasn't. He really wasn't. He choked to the point. She went unconscious.
6: Bob could lie about anything.
0: It only takes the one time when somebody ends up dead. Unfortunately for Bob, us girlfriends know how to fight back. I wanted him to pay for his crime. He needed to be put to justice.
11: I'll be honest with you, if I saw him right now, I'd spit on
0: him. I would call him and
6: I would say, I know you killed my sister. I will always hound you and haunt you.
0: You can listen to The Girlfriends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
7: In our 22 years of friendship, Andy, this has to be the most bizarre thing we've ever done.
8: I know. I love it. Our podcast, My Vagina Said, what is a podcast where we ask our everyday vagina listeners to pull up a seat at the best friend's table as we share our most personal and humiliating stories and ask questions about women's bodies.
7: We are going to discuss all body things. Like what exactly are we supposed to do with our pubes?
8: Oh my gosh. If you could have a heart-shaped pube that were bedazzled in pink rubies
7: perimenopause
8: I feel right now justified I'm going to start my own personal movement I'm going to start blaming anything that goes wrong in my life on perimenopause leg hair too long perimenopause (laughs) (laughs) don't have the will to clean
7: perimenopause
8: exactly
7: our whack periods, boob issues and so much more
8: Listen to my Vagina Said What podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What? Hi, this is Paris Hilton. Some of the best times of my life have been spent inside of nightclubs, singing, dancing, and being free to truly be myself. And now I'm the executive producer of a new show, the history of the world's greatest nightclubs. I wanted a show that represented freedom, joy, and hope and there is no one better to host than someone who has inspired me for so many years with her musical talent.
6: I'm Alternate, and I've been in the music industry for three decades. I'm a singer, songwriter, and musician. And now I'm inviting you to join me on this global nightclub journey. We'll dive into the origins of genres that broke the industry and uncover the stories of legendary DJs, all through the eyes of the people who partied at the height of club culture. Listen to the history of the world's greatest nightclubs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
11: This is the unbelievable but true story of George Remus. You might know him as a character from Boardwalk Empire or as the inspiration for Jay Gatsby. He was an eccentric and genius lawyer who figured out how to game the system during Prohibition.
2: Remus is in the whiskey business, and Remus is the biggest man in the business.
11: While living the life of luxury with his glamorous and ambitious wife, Imogene. Daddy, I am so glad you are here. But George Remus's wild existence took a dark and shocking turn, leading to betrayal. She had Remus just exactly where she wanted him. Revenge.
1: Feel this muscle. I got this for Remus. I could crush him like an egg.
11: And one of the most sensational murder trials in American history.
10: We, the jury, find the defendant.
11: Join me, Abbott Kaler, as we trace George Remus' transformation from bootleg king to alleged madman. Listen to Remus, the Mad Bootleg King, every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: As part of his reporting, Pilcher tracked down Michael Moran to get his side of the story. Moran vehemently denied all the allegations about being involved in any prostitution or sex trafficking rings.
3: I've talked to Michael Moran three times at length. When we first talked to him, I said, are you a sex trafficker? People have said, you're a sex trafficker. It says here in this affidavit, you're a sex trafficker. What do you say to that? He tried to play the dumb country lawyer.
6: The following is an audio recording from that interview with Michael Moran.
4: I don't even know what a say. Give me the definition of a sex trafficker.
3: So then we get all these women lined up. We come back to him and say, OK, we've got these women now saying that you're the guy. And he says, OK. And then he was more angry. He would not go on camera with us that second time.
6: During one conversation, Pilcher asked Moran specifically about Megan Lancaster.
3: Moran denied being her pimp or being involved in any of that kind of activity.
6: But when James Pilcher brought up the possible whereabouts of Megan Lancaster, he got a shocking response. Pilcher relayed the story to producer Jeff Shane.
3: He joked with me. Hey, maybe she's in my basement. Maybe she's in my backyard. He thinks it's a joke because he knows what the rumors
1: are. Wait, what? You So you asked him directly about it?
3: Oh, absolutely. I said, do you have anything to do with Megan Lancaster? And he said, no, but you can check my basement. Everybody else wants to. You can check out and back. He said, I w- I've invited the cops in to take a look. Well, I'm not going to sur- surmise whether he's trying to get away with anything because I, I don't know whether or not he had anything to do with her disappearance. I really don't. Our reporting didn't lead down those paths but he had this attitude that he thought he was smarter than you, that he thought he was smarter than anybody. And I think what probably, from my reporting and my history on all this, is that I read a lot of stuff about him and leading up to him, and I'd see stories here and there, but nobody but Nikki Blankenship kept at him. Nobody kept on him. And I can tell you that we never went away. The photographer person that I worked with was always in the courtroom, bugging him. You know, it was bugging him that she was there. She was always taking pictures or getting video of him in action in the courtroom. We just never went away.
6: In 2020, authorities finally made their move.
7: Police raided the home of a well-known lawyer suspected of running a national sex trafficking ring for years.
3: March 25th, state and local police raid Michael Moran's house with a search warrant and Dave Yost, the attorney general, was personally present for that enforcement. When you get the state attorney general showing up to serve a search warrant, you know that there are some very important people watching this case. I'm looking at the story I did, and you can see Moran is sitting on his porch in his stocking feet while police are searching his office slash house. Now, the thing you gotta remember too, which is interesting, he has this brick two-story house that sits on the corner right across from the courthouse and right across county corner from the local prosecutor's office. So he literally can walk back and forth from his house slash office to the courthouse and walk right in front of the prosecutor's office.
6: Just seven months later, it all came crashing down for Michael Moran.
7: A longtime defense lawyer and former city councilman has been arrested in an alleged sex trafficking operation.
3: On Friday, October 23rd of 2020, state and local police teamed up and arrested Michael Moran. This comes nearly seven years after that initial affidavit issued by the DEA.
6: For Nikki Blankenship, it was a day that marked the culmination of years of tireless work and a victory for dozens of Portsmouth women.
9: When Michael Moran was arrested on October 23rd, he was arrested on the 18 charges that included sex trafficking, racketeering, compelling and promoting prostitution. When that came out, uh, that was a real exciting day for me. I was screaming. I ran through the house screaming because I worried that no one was ever going to check. No one was really ever going to look into it. I, I really worried. I know that the Cincinnati Inquirer, they had to do their own investigation, but it was approximately a year before they started releasing things. And when they released things, I still didn't know if anything was ever going to happen. And so finally, I was like, okay, at least somebody's finally checking. Did it kind of validate the journey you had started on? Yeah, yeah, it definitely did. There were also a lot of people who were saying he's a great man. And I worried about that. I'm like, did I make a mistake? Am I wrong? And there's no way I could have seen that I I was at this point. I'm like, I have so much evidence. But still, I can't, I don't want to hurt anyone's life like that. So, yeah, I was like, okay, something, it was valid. And everything I've worked on for for a decade is valid. Yeah.
6: Katie Lancaster also felt a great sense of relief and was struck by the uncanny timing of Moran's arrest.
4: Moran was arrested October 23rd of 2020, the day before Megan's 33rd birthday. I mean, I was on my way to Columbus and I about jumped out of the damn car while it was moving. I couldn't speak. I couldn't talk. I couldn't tell anybody what was going on. I was just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, like, I just couldn't believe it. And for it to happen the day that it did, it was almost like a sense of, okay, now I know this is a God thing, like this happened the day before Megan's birthday. Almost eight years into it, like it could not have come at a better time. It was like, oh, my gosh, we did it. We got this far. Megan, look what you have done. Like, I I so just wanted five minutes with her to say, look what you've done.
6: Let's stop here for another quick break. We'll be back in a moment. Just three days after his arrest, Michael Moran appeared in court.
9: He was arraigned on October 26 and pled not guilty. And then he posted a $300,000 bond and was released five days after his arrest.
3: He was also suspended by the state bar association. So he's not allowed to practice law at all, both from the bar perspective, but also from his bond agreement.
6: But that didn't stop Moran from trying to pull off an audacious legal maneuver.
3: So Michael Moran actually initially filed to defend himself in court. He had the intimate knowledge, things that these women would never want to know publicly, and he could cross-examine them on the witness stand. So I actually talked to the attorney general about this, and he said, there's no way that we're gonna let them do that. They strongly, strongly objected. And Moran has since uh, backed off of that. He hired an attorney.
6: It didn't take long for Moran to violate his bond agreement.
3: As it turns out, Moran represented somebody against the court order. He represented somebody in municipal court and filed paperwork for somebody in municipal court in Portsmouth. As part of his bond agreement, he was supposed to have not represented anybody. Now, the state attorney general's office, under the direction of Dave Yost, the state attorney general, is prosecuting this case against Moran in association with a prosecutor, uh, Shane Keeman. So when they got this, they immediately filed with the court to have his bond agreement revoked.
9: I don't think he takes anything seriously. And I don't know, I, I don't think the court is really pushing him to have to take any of this very seriously either, because they, even though he violated the conditions of his bond, instead of sending him back to jail, they put him on house arrest.
6: Currently, Michael Moran is awaiting trial, though a date has not been set. He continues to maintain his innocence.
3: If these allegations proven true, this wasn't a one-off. He did this many times and it was part of a network. This was a part of a repeating pattern of criminal activity. He's looking at 70 years or more, if convicted, in their concurrent sentences.
9: I think in small communities like in Southern Ohio that have just you know, been beaten with poverty and and drug addiction and and so many things. I think that it is just so easy to feel helpless and powerless against these kind of men. But like men like this can get by with this and do whatever they want. And I think people in areas prey on the community and uh, areas like this, I think I've always said that all the way down to the drug epidemic that people come in offering to help And really, they're just looking how they can profit. And it's a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing. It makes it very hard to trust your officials, your local government, your local law enforcement, because those people are supposed to be there to help you. They promise to be there to help you and to fight these problems with you. And really, they're taking advantage and and profiting as much as they possibly can off of the issues that the rest of us have to battle every day. If Megan was sitting in front of you right now, what would you say to her? I would say to her, Megan, we love you so
4: much. And we've missed you so bad. And your little boy, he's so wonderful. He's doing great. He's doing great things just like you are. He plays sports just like you did. You need to know the great things and the great changes that you've made in Siota County and in Ohio. And in the world, for that matter, your story has reached London, England. You've done great things and you will continue to do them Because I will continue to fight for you. And we love you and we miss you always.
6: Next week on the Piketon Massacre, return to Pike County.
7: On December 9th, 2006, someone got into Kurt and Jenny's home and shot
5: a
1: mother both in the bed.
6: On a special bonus episode, a double homicide leaves another Pike County family searching for answers.
5: After 14 years of being told, we've went as far as we can go with this case. You feel like you're never going to get justice. And then that turns into kind of aggravation. Why isn't anything being done? Why isn't this case important? Why isn't my family important?
6: More on that next time. For more information on the case and relevant photos, follow us on Instagram at KT underscore studios. The Piketon Massacre Return to Pike County is executive produced by Stephanie Lidecker and me, Courtney Armstrong. Editing and sound design by executive producer Jared Aston. Additional producing by Jeff Shane, Andrew Becker, and Chris Graves. The Piketon Massacre Return to Pike County is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
0: Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast The Girlfriends. Last time we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story.
1: Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here.
2: From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life.